Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you, uh, and it's great to be here in uh, part two of the Grow series, which we have begun talking about. Uh, last week, our lead pastor, Carl Crocker, launched the vision of Grow, which is leading up to our Thanksgiving faith offering service on June the 23rd. Um, and now the, the Thanksgiving faith offering service and the season around it uh, is, a, is a significant season each year in the life of our church. It's an incredibly powerful time of unity uh, and celebration. It's a time where our faith and, tr- and trust in God are built up. It's a time when the vision, the reach, and the influence of the church for the sake of God's kingdom are enhanced and extended through the faithful, sacrificial, and generous giving of the people of this church. But the vision of Grow goes far beyond just that service and that time of giving on Sunday, the 23rd of June. Although that will be a faith-filled and exciting day. Don't miss it. But we believe that the impact of this series for us as a church, both individually and collectively, will extend into the coming months and years. And we believe that this series will be a fruit, fruit that will last for every individual who allows God to speak into their lives and responds with a yes to his word. And it will be a fruit for us collectively as we together walk in obedience to the vision and promise that God has set before us. So what is the Thanksgiving faith offering? For some of you, it will be a brand new thing. It's an opportunity to look back with thanksgiving for what God has done and to look forward with faith to what God is going to do and to give financially on the day or as a commitment over the coming year in response to both of those things. In fact, we've kind of sung about what Thanksgiving faith offering is this morning, the very first song. Now, God hasn't finished yet. If he did it before, he can do it again. So I'll trust him with what comes next because our God is a God of faithfulness. That's what it's about. And specifically this year, we can look back and give thanks to God for the way that we've grown as a church. And we can look forward in faith, believing that greater growth is yet to come. When my brother and I were kids, our mum would measure us by having a stand up against the door frame of the kitchen door. I think, you know, people identify with this, right? You, you put your heels back and your back straight and you've got to have your head up. And then mum would put the, the book on the top of our head so that it would be perfectly flat and then mark with a pencil how tall we were. And then we would grab the pencil and we'd put our name and the date next to the mark and then measure how tall we'd grown, right? This is... This is you know, people do that. How many people was the kitchen door for them as well? Specifically the kitchen. The kitchen. It's just got to be the kitchen door frame you mark with a pencil. And uh, of course, as we got taller, um, dad had to do it because mum couldn't put the book on our heads anymore. Sorry, mum. Actually, my son just passed my wife this week. He's 14. Passed her this week. Sorry, mums. It happens to you all eventually. But all we wanted to know as kids was whether we had passed the previous mark. We wanted to look back and see where had we grown, how much further had we gone from previous times we'd been measured. And over the years, the kitchen door frame became a testament to the growth that each of us had made. We could see immediately whether we'd made any progress since last time. We were able to compare where each of us were at the same age and see when the younger brothers caught up with or overtook the older brothers. And sorry, Andrew, but you pretty much lost all of those battles too. But the marks on the door told a story of our growth. 
And each year when we come to this season, when we come to the Thanksgiving faith offering, it's an opportunity for us to look back at the marks on the door. Each of us can look at God's faithfulness. We can look at how he's changed us personally. We can look at the battles we've faced, the different milestones he's taken us through. But we can also look back and see the evidence of God's faithfulness in the journey of this church collectively, the major milestones, the different ways we've grown together, the seasons we've gone through, the marks on the door. Um, It's really great, the growth booklet that hopefully most of you have received in the last week. There's some great photos in there that I hope you've had a look at. I wanted to show some of them here, though. Can we, can we have a look at the first photo? There we go. Now, I know it's, it's not full high definition. I think, the, I think the high definition camera was not working that day. Um, but this is from 1987, and this was right in one of the very first few services of our church. And uh, you can't see really, really clearly, but this gorgeous front row here, so that's, uh, that's my mum right there. That's Tim, Tim Bennett's just there, there's Andrew and Matt, and there's me, and we were wearing, obviously, uh, the church uniform of the blue short shorts, the stubbies, and with the long socks, they had to be pulled up, obviously, and clearly the approved stance was that, and Andrew's always, oops, sorry, just scratching his chin there, but but that that was was 1987, and, uh, you know, I can look back on that and go, man, we've, we've grown, actually, there's another couple of people here, you might recognize this. These two faces here, there's Brian and Joyce Granger. Are you guys here today? Yeah. Brilliant. There you go. It's a few, it's a few years ago. You, d- you, look, you look exactly the same. Yeah. You look exactly the same. Great. Can I have the next photo? Because there's Brian again. This is another chapter in the life of the church. You can see where we got our fashion sense from, though, because uh, there's the blue shorts. There's Dad and Ken Lord baptizing Brian Granger. Was that the first um, baptism of the church? I don't know. It might not have been. I think it probably was, though. So there's that one. Can we have the next photo, though? Because this is from 2017. Yeah. Right, this is 30 years down the track, and there's my father and myself, and we're baptizing my son here at Levita. Those are some, some kind of milestones. Those are some marks on the door yeah. that I can look back on as part of my journey in the church. But there's other big sort of collective milestones as well. I mean, there's this building, which opened in 2006, is quite a milestone that we can look back on. We, we had the 25th anniversary in 2012. It was an incredible weekend where we celebrated what God had done. We had the transition of leadership three years ago uh, to Carl and Ange Crocker. We had the 30th anniversary a couple of years ago. And last year, 2018, a milestone of planting the Selwyn campus. They're all marks on the door of the kitchen, probably. But none of these marks on the door would be possible without the very first mark on the door. They rely on the fact that in 1987, my parents, Paul and Jill Bennett, walked in faithful obedience to God's call to plant a church in the northwest suburbs of Christchurch. And this call that they answered also came with an accompanying promise, which Carl shared with you last week and that you can find in the growth booklet, but I want to read again today. John 15:16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and be a fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Go, a command, go and be a fruit, fruit that will last. And when you look around this room, the faces in this room are evidence of that fruit. 
When you look around the Lincoln High School Hall where our Selwyn campus are meeting this morning, you can see evidence of that fruit. But of course, the fruit extends well beyond just the people in these rooms. When I was thinking about the different marks on the door, I reflected briefly on my time in the youth group. And I think it's amazing to be able to say that while I was a part of the youth group, the few years either as a high schooler or as a leader, there were other people in our youth group who had gone on to become the senior pastor of a church in Sydney, uh, a a couple who helped plant the Arise Church Kapiti campus, the couple who'd gone on to become part of the pastoral team at Life Auckland, someone who's gone on to become the global leader of Hillsong Kids, Uh, Someone who's gone on to be the Life Group Leaders Cluster Leader of Arise Church in Wellington. Someone who's gone on to be part of the pastoral team of Hillsong London. Others who have gone on to do long-term overseas missions. And of course, others who have become lead pastors and associate pastors of this church right here. And that's just a few. That's just a few people from the few years that I was in youth group in this church. And of course, there's others who have gone on to run successful businesses, and there are academics, and there are teachers, and there are those who work in the private sector, and those who have worked in government roles, and all who are shining a light into their various communities and making a difference for the kingdom of God. And that's bearing fruit. And it's fruit that has gone on to be planted and grow and bear more fruit beyond themselves. And that fruit is evidence of past growth that we can look back on and give thanks for. That's what we're doing in this season. But it's also very much about growing here and now and having faith that God has more growth and more fruit for us to come. See, it takes healthy growing trees and plants to produce healthy fruit. You don't get healthy fruit from dying or dead trees. Trees need to grow strong be healthy and mature in order to produce fruit to their full potential. We cannot fulfill the promise of John fifteen sixteen to be a fruit, fruit that will last without growth. But as Carl said last week, growth can be uncomfortable. Growth takes you from one place to another. Growth doesn't let you stay in the same place or remain the exact same way you were before. Growth can be uncomfortable. When I was young, I learnt piano for quite a number of years, actually. I think I was eight when I started to learn piano. And uh, I carried on right through to when I was at university, uh, and I loved it. I loved learning the piano. I loved all the different things you could do, all the different styles you could play, classical, pop, jazz, blues, country and western, both of them. I loved the rhythmic stuff. I loved the melodic stuff. I loved, really loved getting into chords and all the different sounds you could make by combining all these notes on the piano. And admittedly, I didn't always practice anywhere near as much as I should. Uh, I would say I probably practiced the most when assignments were due or exams were coming. Uh, I know that doesn't seem very logical, but you know, it's pretty hard to justify watching TV or playing games or just generally mucking around when you've got an exam to study for. But right, I actually really need to practice piano and tidy my bedroom. Like those, th- those things like felt like I could justify doing those instead of studying. Uh, and so my room was never tidier and my piano practice was never more uh, determined than when I had an exam coming. It's just the way it was. 
But because I didn't practice enough consistently, my technical skills as a pianist didn't really develop to the point to become a really top pianist, but I loved concentrating on the musicality side of it. What, what could you do with it? How could you make people feel, or how could I feel by using music? And those years of learning the piano were essential for me because not only I had the love for it, not only the joy that it brought me, but the careers I've had as an adult have been built on the foundation of knowledge and skills that learning the piano brought me, both as a high school music teacher for 13 years and I've been leading the worship team here for about 17 or 18 years. But there was a season when I was around 13 years old where the whole trajectory nearly went completely off the rails. See, at that age, I had a rapid growth spurt. And it wasn't just getting taller, but my arms and my hands and my fingers were all growing and lengthening, and my strength was changing, and all of that sort of stuff as well. So there was a particular period of time where it felt like every time I sat down at the piano, the keyboard had shrunk, or the keys had been put in the wrong place. It was a bit like if you've read Roald Dahl's The Twits. It was like I sat down and suddenly I'm bigger than I used to be. Or somebody's come in here and swapped the the piano for a smaller piano. It, It doesn't feel like the right size anymore. So practice became very, very frustrating. I couldn't hit the right intervals anymore. I kept overreaching and splitting notes and hitting halfway between the keys. The stretch that used to get a sixth would now suddenly play a seventh. Or what felt like should be an octave suddenly was now... A ninth, and so it was not a satisfying experience for me, or for my piano teacher, or for anybody listening. I know that my father's talked about this story a long time ago, and some of you may have heard it, but you get to hear it from my perspective today. Because one particular afternoon, my parents sent me to the study, which is where the piano was, to practice. Uh, you know, probably I probably had a lesson the next day and hadn't practiced all week. That's probably what happened. Um, And so I went in there, and I got ready to play the first piece. Now, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I think it was probably something, I think it was sort of a technical Baroque piece, something a a little, maybe a a small minuet from Bach. Simple, probably, but very technical. So I start playing this piece. About two bars in, I overreach an interval and make a mistake. So frustrated, I stopped, and I started again from the beginning, which is definitely not the best way to practice, by the way. But two bars in, same place, same mistake. Stop, start again. Only this time, I disregard the dynamic marking of pianissimo, and I move to mezzo piano. For those of you who don't, haven't studied music, uh, that's from very quiet to just a little quiet. All right? So it just moves along the spectrum a little bit. Two bars in, same place, same mistake. Stop, start again. Move from mezzo piano to mezzo forte this time around, which is just a little loud. Same place, same mistake. Stop, start again. Move from mezzo forte to forte. Over and over again, I'm repeating the same mistake and getting more and more frustrated with myself. The mum and dad are in the kitchen, I think, and they're hearing me. They're probably measuring one of my brothers. They hear me playing louder and louder and louder and louder, the same thing over and over and over again until suddenly they don't hear anything at all. How many parents know that when you can no longer hear your kids that something really bad has happened, right? So after a few minutes, Dad comes into the study to investigate. And this is not my proudest moment, I'll admit that now. But he finds me lying on my back in the middle of the floor, kicking my legs or throwing my arms. I don't know what I was doing exactly, but I hate piano. 
I hate bark. I hate music. In fact, I'm going to burn all my tapes. For those of you who don't know, (laughs) tapes were little rectangular cassettes that had spools of magnetic tape inside that you played in a device called a cassette deck in order to listen to music back then. I know all you cool kids listen to modern technology like CDs and mini discs these days. (laughs) Just kidding, John. I know about Zunes. It's good. The point is that that period of rapid growth that I was going through physically was actually a real pain. It was a struggle. It was causing discomfort. It was interfering with something that I loved to do. And together with my parents, we decided that while I was going through this phase, it would be wise to put piano on pause for a few months, which is what we did. I started lessons up again at the start of the following year. Once the growth spurt had settled down and I kind of had some awareness and control of my body again. But if we tried to push through, if I hadn't taken a break at that time, it's possible that the frustration would have become so bad that perhaps I would have lost music forever. Maybe I would have given up. But that would have been a huge loss for me and the musical world at large, probably. But also, even though that growth caused such problems during that season, it was necessary growth for me to become the musician that I am today. Because it would have been a far more difficult journey to becoming a pianist if I'd had tiny arms and little small hands. You don't see T-Rexes play the piano very often. I needed to grow physically in order to be able to actually play the piano to the best of my ability. The same growth that caused the frustration that caused me to take a break also led to the development of my strength and skills that enabled me to become the musician that I am today. The same is true in God. The growth that causes you discomfort and pain is the same growth that leads you into the purposes and promises of God. Growth can be uncomfortable, but it leads you to a greater place. What areas do you long to see growth in over this next season? Is it growth in character? Is it patience, love, compassion? Is it growth in mercy, faith, confidence? Do you need to grow in self-control, faithfulness? Is it wisdom? Wisdom in your parenting, in your business, in your online presence, or the way you communicate with people? Do you need to see growth in generosity, servanthood, courage? Do you want to see growth in influence, significance, and impact on the lives and communities around you? Because that's the kind of growth we want to see in the church. Personal and corporate growth that advances the kingdom of God, that brings hope to the hopeless, and proclaims the good news of what Jesus can do for people. Good news that sees lives transformed and impossible situations turned around. I want to read a passage from Matthew 14, and that'll be on the screen. You can read along with me. Matthew 14, 22 to 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. 
When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. I think what happens to Peter in this story is amazing. It's a whirlwind of emotions and perspectives. It's victory and it's failure all rolled into one. It's a story of Peter's growth. Because Peter's first reaction is the same as the other disciples. It's, it's fear. It's a ghost. In biblical times, the sea or the waters in general were considered to be the most powerful part of nature. They were untamable. They represented complete chaos. So no one had the power to control the waters. To see someone walking on the water was so amazing that it was terrifying. Who could have such power? It must be a ghost, an an apparition. But immediately Jesus says, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. It is I. He doesn't even need to name himself to the disciples. Only one person could speak with such authority. They knew who it was. It is I. That statement was the reason they could take courage. That statement was the reason they didn't need to be afraid. It is I. And Peter immediately switches, incredibly, from terrified to remarkably bold. His last statement was, out of fear, it's a ghost. His next statement in courage and boldness is, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come on the water. If it's you is a slightly misleading way of reading this text. Right? The original text doesn't imply any sense of doubt or questioning in this statement. Another way of translating it would be a little bit more like, since it's you. Right. Since it's you, Jesus, because you have the power, because you have the authority, tell me to walk on the water and I will. And Jesus says, come. Uh, last week, another thing that Carl touched on was being all in. I think nothing says being all in like getting out of a boat in the middle of a lake, right? You can't go halfway. You, can't, you have to be all the way in the boat or all the way out of the boat. I mean, think about it. Even when you're in the shallows, right? You can't stand on either side of the boat side for very long. You can't be in the water and in the boat. And if you're out in the deep, there's just no way of doing that. You, it's just far too uncomfortable. You can't have one leg in the boat, one leg out of the boat. Once you've decided to get out of the boat, you just have to get out. Or more importantly, once you've decided to get in the water, as Peter, as Peter did, you have to get all in. So when Jesus says, come, Peter comes out of, gets down out of the boat and starts to walk on the water toward Jesus. So he started terrified, he went bold, and now he's walking on water, he's, now he's moved into victorious. But there was another small but important step in between because he was obedient. If it's you, tell me to come. Jesus says, come. So Peter obeys and he's doing it. He's walking on water. 
But when he saw the wind, is the next phrase. But when he saw the wind, when he looked at the waves, when he took his eyes off Jesus, he was afraid and began to sink. When Peter fixed his eyes on the giant, on the circumstances, he sank. But when he fixed his eyes on Jesus, he walked. So now he's moved from terrified to bold to obedient to victorious to failure. So he went all, he went all in, but unfortunately now he's going all in, which is probably not what he was hoping. Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reaches out and catches him, and he's rescued. You of little faith, why did you doubt? But Jesus isn't really telling him off, I don't think. He's telling him, I already had you. I was already the reason you were walking on water. I was already the reason you weren't sinking. I mean, Lord, save me. I mean, what, who did he think he was, was saving him already? At that point, he was on the water. It wasn't his own strength that he was walking on water. It was through what Jesus was doing. It was me. It was always me. You can trust in me. And when they get back in the boat, the wind dies down, the waves calm, and the disciples are amazed. Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the first time they've ever called him by that title. It's the first time they've ever had that revelation. And that right there is what the story is about. Growth for Peter in this story is not about whether he can walk on water. It's whether he can trust in Jesus. Can he put all of his faith in him? Can he believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And it's just a short time later that Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, because his faith has grown. His trust has grown. He's seen it. He's experienced it. And he knows that only Jesus was able to save him from the waves. Only Jesus could calm the wind. Only Jesus could stop him from sinking beneath the water. Team, why don't you come up and join me? I'm going to wrap wrap up over the next few minutes. It's hard to think about an idea like grow without considering the parable that Jesus told about the sower. It's so well known. We, we know the parable of the sower. And Jesus told the people the story of a farmer who went out to sow seed. And as he scattered it, some fell along the path and the birds came along and they ate it. And uh, some fell on rocky places where the soil was shallow and the, the plants didn't take root properly. And when the sun came out, they were scorched and they withered in the heat. And other seed fell among thorns and, and weeds which grew up and alongside the plants and choked the plants. But other seed fell on good soil. And it was fruitful. And it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So here's my question for you today. How's your soil? Or think of it another way. What would it, what would it take? What do you need to do? that would improve the soil of your life? What would allow you to be more fruitful? What would allow you to grow? When Jesus explained this parable to his disciples, he said that the seed that fell on the path was like those who heard the word but did not understand it. So it was immediately snatched away from them. Do you need to hear more of God's word in your life? Do you need to gain more understanding of what it is that he's saying to you? The seed that fell on the rocky ground It's like someone who hears the word and receives it, 
But because they have no root, because they are not properly planted in deep soil, as soon as trouble or persecution comes, they quickly fall away. Are there rocks in your soil that are getting in the way? Are you not fully planted in the church? Or is your soil not deep enough for you to have strong, healthy roots? Is that hindering your growth today? And the seed that fell among the thorns and weeds is like someone who hears the word and allows it to take root, allows it to grow, but all the worries and distractions and pursuit of other things in life choke the growth of the plant and make it unfruitful. The plants are still there, and they're still growing to a point, but they're not bearing fruit. Are there worries or distractions that are stopping you from being fruitful? It's a bit of a hypothetical question, isn't it? I think we're all distracted by worries and things that get in the way. Are there things that are getting in the way of you fixing your eyes on Jesus and that are stunting your growth? Are you distracted by the waves? Are you looking at the wind? Are you fixating on the giant? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Recognize that he is bigger than the giant. He's bigger than the wind. He's bigger than the waves. He's bigger than your vision. He's bigger than your need. He's more than your sin. He's more than your fear. He's greater than your depression. He's greater than your sickness. He's mightier than your weakness. He's stronger than your addiction. He's more powerful than your insecurity. He's more capable than your inability. He's wiser than your doubt. He's more generous than your debt. So take courage. Do not be afraid. It is Him. It's Jesus. Let him be the soil in which we plant our lives. Let him be the one in whom we place all our trust, all our faith, all our heart, all that we are so that we can go and bear fruit, fruit that will last and live lives that will point others to Jesus so they can learn to trust wholeheartedly in him as well. We're going to sing a song in a minute. Hallelujah here below. And it gets to a bridge and it says, Jesus Christ, King enthroned, all the praise is yours forevermore. But I, wanna, I want us to proclaim that this morning, and we'll sing all the praise. But I want you to think about the fact it's actually not just all the praise. It's all. Right. Jesus Christ, our King enthroned, all is yours yeah. forevermore. Right. All the praise, definitely. All the worship, all the glory, all the honor, absolutely, totally. But actually just all. All is His. All our weakness, all our strength, all our insecurity, all our fear, all our finance, all our debt, all our hopes, all our dreams, all our failures, all our victories. It's all His. So we're going to stand together and we're going to sing and we're going to lay whatever it is, whatever thorn or weed or whatever plant or rock that is getting in the way from us being planted in Him and growing. Let's bring it before Jesus again today and say, Jesus king and throne. All is yours forevermore. Let's stand and sing together.